Raise your right hand and repeat after me. I say your name. Do you solemnly swear? To support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and to bear true faith and allegiance to the same. Then I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of those officers appointed over me according to regulations and uniform code of military justice. So help me God. Welcome to another episode of the American Vet Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. And I have the pleasure to be sitting here with, well, outstanding veteran that's not only did quite a bit while he was in, but he's actually doing quite a bit as he's out for uh, for fellow veterans. He was a Harvard doc that's turned flight surgeon. He served from 94 to 2002. He's been deployed with the 11th Marine Expeditionary Unit as aviation combat element of flight surgeon from 2001 to 2002. He's been on the USS Boxer to Kuwait, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and among others. And now he is the CMO of Wave Neuroscience, who are a world-leading experts with TBI, PTSD, depression, and anxiety. That gentleman's name is Eric. Eric, thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's uh, it's an honor to be here. Yeah, thanks. Um, so why uh, why the military? What made you decide to go into the military? Uh, so before I just kind of a, a pause, it's um, this expeditionary unit. So I wasn't sure if uh, um, uh, it, when you did the prior intro, you, you said, uh, I think ex, expeditionary, something like that. So just oh, yeah. um, just a <laughs> clarification, because I know the Marine, my Marine buddies will say it's expeditionary. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, so uh, kind of resetting and uh, um, why I joined the military. Uh, so you know, growing up, my parents were both uh, first generation Korean Americans. Uh, okay. They came here on educational scholarships and uh, my dad eventually went on to get um, his PhD in chemical engineering at UC Berkeley. And my mom uh, was, uh, got a master's in librarian sciences and uh, they just uh, worked really hard for the opportunity. But uh, I kind of grew up with a deep appreciation for the opportunity they were granted. And I know uh, whenever I go back and visit family in Korea, there was great reverence and respect for the United States. And so just, I always wanted to, to give back. And, um, uh, in, in many ways I view my parents as sort of the American dream. Like they just right. wanted the opportunity and, um, they worked really hard, uh, to give a better life to my sister and I. Yep. And so when I was going through medical school, um, a recruiter stopped by and was talking about sort of the different things doctors can do in the military and it sounded pretty <laughs> exciting to me and uh so i jumped in uh really <laughs> i think not appreciating uh the journey that uh <laughs> lied ahead yeah but um <laughs> but i loved it and uh my years in service i still look back on as uh, some of the best years of my life and um those are still some of my closest friends uh marine buddies um yep. and uh, uh yeah as a squid amongst 
uh, the Marines, um, <laughs> you know, I, I got my share of grief, but, uh, but mostly born out of love and, um, yeah, just have, a. uh, a lot of fond memories during, during my time there. Yeah. Now, did you ever become like a, a fleet Marine or not? No, you know, I, my CEO had always said, you need to Marine regs, join the Marine regs. And, um, <laughs> I never did, you know, I, I stayed, uh, stayed on the blue side and, um, it was just kind of, a um, there, there's too much going on for me, <laughs> for me to go through kind of that whole process. But, yep. um, yeah, love, love the culture, love the people. And uh, I still remember my first day at Camp Pendleton. Um, I was just walking through the, the parking lot to um, it, grab a sandwich or something. And like two last corporals sprinted to salute. And it's just not something I was used to, you know, maybe right. especially on the medicine side, it's so informal. Like <laughs> at that time I was in 03 and I could walk by an 06 and just be like, hey, Bruce, how's it going? And um, uh, you would never see that. You know, right. on, on a, there's the military discipline and uh, the culture is is extraordinary. So, um, anyways, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I never really got. I did a lot of saluting in my time. I've never really got saluted, so I wouldn't wouldn't know how that felt. Um, okay, so Harvard first. So, if you take Harvard and like correspond that with it like boot camp and everything else like that as far as like i don't know harvard i'm assuming that it's just a bunch of in the books kind of no real a lot of fun or is there or is harvard a little bit better than that uh you know the professors and the people that i met there they were more down to earth than i was expecting actually and so um i actually uh, I, i went to harvard to finish up my medical training after i got out of service and so that's sort of it was sort of my transition experience oh okay yeah. And so for me, that was uh, kind of a mixed blessing. You know, it was great to be around so many smart people. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was exploring a new area. We were talking a little bit about yeah. Massachusetts before, um, you know, we started the podcast. Uh, and so it, it was an exciting time for me, but um, kind of a struggle too, just leaving the brotherhood um, of the Marines and, um yeah, you know, just on a personal level, um, a, a lot of struggles, but I think professionally it, it was kind of exciting to be at uh, the Mecca and, um, you know, a lot of the places you see are sort of historical. Um, uh, the medical school and the library uh, are on Pasteur Avenue in, in Boston and uh, the Ether Dome where the first anesthesia was performed uh, was there. And so you're, you're sort of, um, immersed in drinking from, you know, this, uh, medical Mecca and you're sort of surrounded by, um, a lot of really smart people, but it wasn't the elitist snobbery that that I might've been expecting. You know, most of these guys are people you could go grab a beer with, but you know, for me, when uh, I was in, we had the ready room where, uh, you just go and shoot the bull with a bunch of friends and talk about just anything. Uh, it, It definitely wasn't that. You know, and so it was just, it was a different experience and a different culture, but um, kind of mixed because I, I was leaving behind a lot of really close friends. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I mean, I didn't definitely have the experience that you had, but I couldn't imagine, you know, the, the going from Harvard to the Marine Corps and back and, and whatnot, you know, Marine Corps group of people and stuff like that. Just, yeah, I wouldn't be able to do that. 
<laughs> I would go to Harvard and probably get kicked out real quick. <laughs> uh, I, you would have done fine. It's, uh, I don't know, people, I, I think people are a little more open-minded there than uh, they get credit for. But yeah, I, I love Boston. I love the city. Yep. Kind of growing up in Dodger Town and I had never seen how crazy people were about the Red Sox there. It was, it was yeah. kind of insane. And especially, especially yeah, our for rounds would depend on how the Red Six Red Sox performed uh, the day before. If they lost, we'd get crushed, and if they won, then <laughs> you know, our ten would be in a good mood, and it'd be it'd be a lot better. Yeah, so yeah, good times. Well, geez, you served. You were in there from ninety four to oh two, and I don't think the Red Sox won a lot during then. <laughs> no, no. And so I was in, I was in Boston from, uh, uh, 02 to, uh, 04, 05. And, um, I think they won their first series like yep. the year I left. Yep. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> so thanks for leaving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We reversed the curse after I left, but, um, but yeah. And actually my, uh, my lab was literally like a block away from Fenway. Okay. And so, uh, always got to see sort of the festivities and uh the craziness there so uh got a good flavor for boston nice so navy boot camp where'd you go for that so so i was at uh i went to offshore indoctrination school in uh providence rhode island total transparency you know <laughs> they took it really easy on the docks okay and uh so i was around you know, we were doctors and there were a few attorneys and a few aerospace physiologists. I still remember walking in, there was a drill sergeant who was just cutting up his crew and um, was really, I looked the part, he looked like a bulldog. And we we're all like, oh crap, what do, we, what do we get ourselves into? And then as we went through it, you know, they had us run a few, a few laps to see yep. kind of what kind of condition are these doctors in? And we were not in great shape. <laughs> just to put it mildly. So, uh, so I think they took it relatively easy on us and, um, no, it was rough. You know, you lose all your freedom and, uh, you get your hair shaved off and you, yep. you go through the whole, uh, experience. But yeah, you know, I don't think it was as certainly wasn't as difficult as the crucible and Paris Island, you know, what you guys <laughs> went through. Yeah. Um, it's mostly just to get military bearing and not be a total, not be a total idiot kind of when you, when you joined the fleet. So. Right. I would, I would assume like when I went in, they were, they were just about, you know, the Marines have a, uh, a saying, you probably know it, but pain's weakness, leaving the body. And yeah. so boot camp for me was a whole lot of weakness, leaving my body. And that was all they were doing. It just, you know, crushing you, crushing you, crushing you. But, you know, I, I was trying to sit here going, man, as a, as a doctor going into boot camp, I would assume they don't crush you as that much. They probably want to give you as much knowledge as, as possible because who knows in a couple you know a couple months you're you're out there saving lives and i mean i'm glad <laughs> to hear that it, it, it's kind of like that and they're not just crushing you all day but yeah i, I might have gotten lucky i don't uh <laughs> it was a while ago so i don't remember uh all the nitty-gritty details but i remember you know our sergeant was uh pretty gracious and forgiving we weren't making times or doing all the the sit-ups and push-ups that we needed to you know, we managed to have some fun too. And it's not a bad area to be where they're during the summertime. I remember it being very hot and humid. Yep. Marching was, uh, was not fun. Cause we, uh, <laughs> it, as smart as the group might've been, they just couldn't get freaking left, right down. And, uh, we have to be out there for hours and hours and hours marching, but yeah, it's, uh, 
good fun and we made it through. So yeah, absolutely. So where was your first, where, where did you go from boot camp? Where was your first uh, station? Well, so after, after, uh, OIS, you know, you, we finished medical school. So I think I did it as a rotation third year in med school. And then, you know, you go to your fourth year and then I did internship at a Portsmouth Naval hospital. And then, uh, we did what's called the GMO tour general medical officer. And you can either go straight into residency or you can do a GMO and there's several different GMOs. You can do undersea medicine where you're working either on a sub or, um, you know, some, uh, will will work with, uh, SEAL teams and there's some other types of billets. And then for, for me, there's aerospace medicine and flight surgery. And so, um, uh, the flight school was in Pensacola. Uh, at that time, it was called the uh, NAMI, the Naval Aerospace Medicine Institute. And I think it's gone through a couple name changes, but I think it's it's now NAMI again. And then you get assigned to different billets around uh, the globe. And uh, I got stationed at Camp Pendleton with uh, HMM-268, the Red Dragons, medium lift squadron, and eventually deployed with uh, the 11th MUSOC. That was where it sort of... Uh, we just floated around um, and ended up in uh, Kuwait. Um, a, a lot of training and a lot of uh, kind of flight hours. And so yeah. I, I think from the aviator's perspective, these are tremendous opportunities to uh, hone your skills and get better. And as a doc, uh, it, it was a pretty sweet job. You know, <laughs> I had a, a great group of guys who were super motivated. Not a lot of people got sick. Uh, we had a few injuries uh, while we were deployed, but, you know, nothing horrific. And uh, it was kind of the next deployment where, and this is something that ended up kind of impacting my career. And, uh, you know, before you'd uh, uh, talked about, we had talked about some low points, but on yeah. March 21st, 2003, uh, our squadron had a pretty horrific uh, accident where we lost one of our helicopters and, uh uh, everyone perished in the accident. It was, it was oh, two man. pilots, two air crew, and then eight uh, British special operators. And um, kind of as a residue of that, you know, I had quite a few friends struggling. Well, and you know, I think it's understandable. Anytime you yeah. lose some buddies, uh, it's it's a bit of a struggle. But you know, and that was a very kinetic time. And so, a combination of traumatic brain injuries and post traumatic stress and just yeah, situational stress and depression, you know, it, it was a struggle. Uh, when I left the service, um, it sort of compounded things because you can always lean on each other. Yeah, You're right there in the workspace together, but when you're out, there is a bit of isolation. You know, for your audience, uh, when I look back on the time, I didn't reach out as much as I should have. Right, And I just hope people will stay connected with their brothers and sisters and and it's such a blessing to have that community. And it really wasn't until eight or nine years later that I really reconnected with these guys. And uh, to this day, we still uh, get together from time to time. We'll do fishing oh. trips and it's made all the difference. Oh, perfect. Now, was there any, uh, we're going to call it hazing, but uh, <laughs> on, on, on the <laughs> boxer and everything else that kind of carried over to the civilian world now when you go fishing and stuff like that or. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I mean, we, we always we always uh, give each other uh, a lot of grief. <laughs> I think the guys kind of took it easy on me. Okay. 
especially when you're in service, if you're the doctor doing the flight physicals and, uh, you know, uh, I would never be overly invasive on the physical exam, <laughs> but people would always worry, are we going to do a rectal? And, you know, so it, it wasn't, uh, you know, that was something that I, I typically just bypassed on the service, uh, a, a real medical reason. But, right. but in any case that, you know, I think that there was a lot of, um, uh, we, we weren't too, too bad on each other uh, in general, you know, out on the town on Liberty, you know, there's plenty of stories that I wouldn't share on, on the air, but <laughs> You know, we took good care of each other and, you know, on the boxer, you know, it wasn't, uh, uh, we kept things relatively peaceful and orderly. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, you bring it, bring all that up. And, uh, so when I was in, uh, South Korea, this is probably right around 06 for me, we, uh, the Marine Corps, I don't know if it was every branch wide, but we had this thing where everybody wanted to kick and hit each other in their private areas, you know, in their nads and stuff like that. <laughs> well, this one guy, one Marine kicked this other Marine so hard. He had to go in front of the corpsman down there, our doc that we had there for the, for the training op that we were doing. And he called a huge meeting afterwards. He, Cause I guess the guy's, his, his junk was all black and blue swollen, you oh. know, like the guy, I mean, the guy's foot didn't even leave the guy's area and he was already throwing up, you know? how hard he kicked him and uh you know he told all of us he's like every one of you motherfuckers out there are gonna get a boar punch if i have to look at somebody's other somebody's junk again for another 45 minutes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would say i got a fair amount of that just uh whenever i'd walk around uh sort of the squadron spaces and so during the time we had uh, a clinic in uh area 22 at camp pendleton where we'd see patients for most of the day and then uh, once a uh, sick call was over, I'd go over to uh, the squadron spaces and inevitably there'd be somebody saying, doc, I got this thing on my ball sack. Can you look <laughs> at her? You know, I've got this thing growing out of my butt. And, you know, so it was always just kind of good natured fun, yep. generally involving uh, private areas, but uh, it, it was usually ingested and fun. So. so out of your whole time in, what what is the funniest or what the hell moment that you had to say to yourself when you were presented by a service member and you're like, how did this even happen? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, is there anything that ever came in? Somebody's come in off the wall injury or off the wall. Like how would, you know, how would you get that to happen? Yeah, it's, it's a pretty long list. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you did have a lot of fun. <laughs> probably, uh, so probably the, the funniest or most memorable would be uh, during our Liberty port in Thailand. Uh, we're in Phuket and uh, you always worry. So you do like the STD brief before everybody disembarks and yeah, especially uh, you Thailand. try to put the fear in God in people. But of course, you know, we're, we're young men at that age and people are going to do what they're going to do. And so uh, when we come back, you're just ready for the worst. Yep. And um, it's your typical run of the mill stuff. People who are concerned about, uh, about what they did. But the strangest story was, I don't know if you ever had the opportunity to go, uh, to Thailand, a beautiful country, yeah. both, I, I think the, uh, kind of nature and, uh, tourism opportunities, but also the people and the culture are amazing. But, uh, one of the things, you know, there's a lot of street vendors and there's these monkeys that, uh, will go around and they'll do tricks and they'll grab your wallet and whatever. And, uh, uh, we had a ring that got bit on the lip by a monkey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, 
what were you trying to kiss them? Like what happened? Yeah. And it, it turns out that if you make eye contact with a monkey, it's viewed as sort of hostile behavior or whatever. So I don't, I don't know what really happened, but the bottom line is uh, the monkey bit this guy on the lip and actually broke skin and it was, it was pretty swollen, which <laughs> if that was it, you know, you, you could either suture it or, or, or just leave it alone. If, it, if it's right. not, the wound margin are too far apart. You can just let it heal by secondary intention, whatever. But because it's a wild monkey, you typically have to give a rabies shot. And it's one shot in the shoulder and then one shot at the puncture site. And so we didn't want to shoot this guy in the lip because it was already so swollen. Um, We we had lots of discussion internally because we had a whole medical team, police surgical team, nine was with a ship's crew and, um, you know, I was a Marine doctor. And so we we had a pretty robust medical team there. And uh, ultimately, we tried to inject as much as we could into the site just because <laughs> you know, we wanted yeah. to follow standard medical protocol. But that poor Marine, uh, you know, you try to numb them up and, and do what you can, but it, it was pretty painful. So yeah. uh, anyways, that's. So that's that's the story he's sticking with. I just looked at it in the eyes. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Who knows? But yeah, that was uh, one of the more memorable events, I would say, coming out of coming out of Liberty. <laughs> Perfect. So what was uh, life on the sea for you? I know we kind of talked about it a couple of times. You said it's nice, but you know, any words of wisdom to be on? Uh, how big is the, uh, I'm not familiar with the USS Boxer. I don't know how big of a ship it is. If it's a small one or a huge one or. It's, it's a pretty big ship. It's an LHD. So it's, it's kind of a landing deck, kind of an aircraft carrier for a rotary wing uh, type aircraft. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll pick up Harriers too, but we were, uh, CH-53s, 46s, co-resin Hueys. And um, so we had elements from uh, heavy lift and, and light attack squadrons and everyone kind of came together to form the Mew. Uh, it was great. I mean, I mean, you, you sort of see different characters because, you know, in the CH-46 community, there was a joke that, you know, they were uh, low speed, high drag, just kind of yeah. laid back dudes. And, you know, the Cobra pilots were more uh, sort of the Tom Cruise uh, high speed, high speed guys, and you know, CH fifty three guys are pretty laid back. And it's interesting. I think somehow in the aviation selection process, people end up in a certain sort of profile. And so, <laughs> when we all kind of come together as a group, it made for a lot of good storytelling, and uh, it was a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, we, you know, I'd say one of the, uh, I think interesting because we ended up actually writing an academic paper on it. We did this humanitarian aid mission on East Timor. The East Timor Islands are, they're clustered off of Australia, part of Indonesia. And uh, they'd undergone a pretty horrible civil war. You know, so there were these mass graveyards and their whole medical infrastructure had been destroyed. And so the dentists and the doctors, everyone, uh, and you know, the Marine units had gone to sort of rebuild some of the infrastructure. And our dentist must have pulled hundreds of teeth, and we saw hundreds of people a day for uh, malaria. And we saw some of our first cases of elephantiasis. It's something you read about. Yeah, it doesn't exist in the United States, but in East Timor, you know, you were seeing people with um, you know these horrible, like disfiguring conditions. They hadn't yeah. had access to medical care in years, and that was I, I felt like some of the first real medicine. Because the Marines, they're, they're relatively young and healthy. And, um, you know, you get people with, you know, cuts and bumps and bruises. Um, but these these were pretty exotic tropical diseases. And so yeah. um, uh, that was pretty fun. And so we got a paper published in Military Medicine. 
but uh, just seeing how that all uh, got organized and how we all sort of flexed and adapted to the situation was, uh, uh, that was one of the better operations that we did. You know, normally the tactical stuff as a doc, you know, I'm not really doing anything. I'm just kind of watching these guys do their thing and uh, to be able to sort of participate in, um, you know, this mission was, uh, was pretty cool. So. Outstanding. Yeah. I guess that's, uh, you're not going to give them water and tell them to take Motrin's for those kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> injuries. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I get plenty of grief about, uh, dispense how much Motrin I dispensed in my time, but, uh, <laughs> but truly I, it's, it's a good medicine for people, you know, rather than taking anything that's too, too terrible or has, you know, with massive side effect profiles. But, uh, but yeah, I've, I've taken my share of grief for, uh, the vitamin M. <laughs> I've, I've taken plenty of my share of vitamin M. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, so you're, now you're, you're out. Okay. And, and now you're the CMO of wave neuroscience. Talk to me about what is wave neuroscience? Yeah. So wave neuroscience is, it's the translational neuroscience company. And, and what that means is uh, we're taking innovations and very complex concepts from the laboratory academic environment and translating them into commercial products and uh, therapeutics that can help patients. And and so uh, there's a number of different products that have been innovated, but the one that kind of drew me in uh, was something called transcranial magnetic stimulation or what we call MyWave TMS. And so we've taken this base technology and we've added personalized algorithms to them to make them more effective for each individual. And so taking a step back at the time, I kind of stumbled upon this technology. Uh, mm-hmm. I had left residency and um, was at the Boeing company as one of their chief physicians. And I eventually took on a role as uh, their chief technology officer for medical services. And uh, I was hearing about this technology. Yeah. Uh, and at that time it was called MERT, magnetic EV resonance therapy which describes a method. And as we sort of rolled this out to clinics and doctors around the country, um, we started calling it my way TMS, but it's, it's really a three-step process. And the reason it's I think relevant to our discussion is my interface with it was a number of people who had really substantial changes in their struggle with post-traumatic stress and, and TBI. Right. And so I'll get to that in a moment, but just to describe the process, um, it's really three steps. And the first step is getting uh, what's called a quantitative EEG. And it's a simple 15 to 30 minute study. You wear something uh, that looks like a shower cap and uh, you get an electrical picture of the brain, much like an EKG is an electrical picture of the heart. Uh, EEGs are electrical pictures of the brain. And uh, we've actually uh, upgraded that whole process where we're now using a dry lead EEG device that uh, we can capture an image in 10 to 15 minutes. And then the second step step is to uh, transfer that image into a computational database where we run a bunch of analytics. And this is kind of where the magic happens. And so we're able to identify areas of the brain that aren't functioning as well as they could. Okay. And just to describe some of that, all of us have a unique signature. And so you might have... Uh, let's just say a uh, 11.8 hertz brain, which means you're able to process information 11.8 times per second. And I might have a 9.5 hertz brain and it doesn't really matter. It's just kind of where you're born. Uh, 
Um, and so we all have a different cycle rate, but whether it's through the physical trauma of being exposed to repeated uh, blast injuries or the emotional trauma of losing a loved one, whether it's your buddy in combat or a child due to cancer, whatever it is, some of these really significant life traumas can cause uh, changes in brain function. And, and there's also chemical trauma, whether it's through years of hard drinking or hard drugs, we can find areas of the brain, clusters of neurons that start firing either too fast or too slow. And so based on the geographic location of that abnormality, it will typically manifest as some constellation of symptoms. And one of the better studied waveform patterns that we see is something called, uh, we're all familiar with is just depression. And that area tends to be the left dorsolateral prefrontal cortex, which is the executive function area of the brain. And if that is cycling too slow, let's just say two hertz, while the rest of your brain is cycling at 11 hertz, um, that information mismatch may cause somebody to feel very depressed, lethargic, have no motivation. And in a separate scenario, let's say uh, the right backhand side of the brain, uh, if somebody's taking a hit through an IED, because it's the visual cortex, if it's cycling too fast, let's say 35, 35 hertz, the rest of your brain can only process at 11 hertz. There's this information overload that may cause somebody to experience anxiety. Okay. And just this image, I think is very powerful uh, in terms of the veteran experience because many of us have gone to the VA or DOD doctors and we've got MRIs or CT scans and we're told everything looks normal. And that is true actually. And so there are different studies for different purposes. And so MRIs and CT scans, while they are the gold standard of neuroimaging, they are designed to tell us about anatomical changes. And so you can see a tumor or a bleed very well, but changes in function are not captured very well in an MRI or CT scan. These EEGs, because they're taken over a time domain, they're like videos instead of still, still shots. And you can see how people's brains are functioning over time, their cognitive function. And when we see these mismatches, a lot of times there's this aha moment where it's like, okay, you know, I'm not just imagining that I had this discrete change after that blast injury or after I lost consciousness. There, there actually was some type of cortical change um, that is now only recently have we had the technology to really capture this. And so then the next question is, okay, what can I do to address that? How do I attack that problem? And that is kind of the third step in our process is using transcranial magnetic stimulation, but not in the one size fits all process that is more typical in the medical community. We're actually informing based on somebody's biology, how we're going to strategically address the issue at the point where the problem happened. And so if we take this TMS device and and the magnet threw me off at first, and just to explain a little bit why it was engineered and innovated this way, magnetic stimulation can deliver pulses across a solid object. These are sort of the first order principles of physics that magnetic stimulation can uniquely do that surface stimulation, for example, could not do, or ECT could not do. This is a much safer, gentler, kinder way of gently stimulating cortical tissue is using a magnetic coil. It's a 1.5 to 2 Tesla MRI grade coil 
that's delivering pulses to specific areas or neurons that are either firing too slow or too fast. And if we give those areas a gentle reminder, hey, you want to be firing at 11.8 hertz where this guy is used to functioning, the body does most of the work for you. And that's sort of the beauty of how kind of mother nature designed us is we like to heal, yeah. right? Whether you put two ends of a broken bone together, you know, it's, it's going to heal for you. And if you put two ends of a wound marsh together, it's going, to, it's going to heal. And the brain is no different. If you sustain an injury, sometimes it just gets stuck. Many people have what's called the neuroplasticity to make a full recovery. Mm-hmm. And other people, for whatever reason, through no fault of their own, may not, and they just get stuck at the wrong frequency. And our job as medical providers, as the medical community, is to identify that issue and to try to give it in the safest way possible, the stimulation to recover. And what we've found over time is if we give stimulation for just 30 minutes a day, um, we can see these changes occur over time. And so we get these EEGs every couple of weeks and we ask patients to come in every day for 30 minutes until we see a normalization of function and we can corroborate people's subjective experience that, Hey, I'm not as angry as I used to be, or I'm getting better sleep. And I think sleep is foundational to a lot of what we're doing. Just having people have improved quality of sleep allows them uh, to have a much better, higher level of function, more emotional resilience so that they're not thinking about self-harm and they're not, just trying to get by day by day, uh, they're able to to function at a higher level and uh, accomplish more. And that becomes its own um, momentum. And people enjoy the success that they're able to experience that, hey, I got 10 things done on my checklist today. Yesterday, I could only do two or three. And nobody wants to feel down. Nobody wants right. to live in the dumps. And so if we're now, I think, getting to a point where we can identify sort of root cause problems and address them. Most of these people will take off and they spread wings on their own. You don't have to do a whole lot. Right. Um, now, I'll preface that by saying to serve our patient population the best, I still think people are served better by surrounding themselves with positive influences. Oh, absolutely. People, yeah, people go back to very destructive environments. You know, you end up in this vicious cycle. But if people are getting marriage counseling and grief counseling and financial counseling and, you know, they're exercising right and putting good nutrients into their body, we've just seen people take off. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because now at that you point, know, you feel good about yourself. So now you're a lot happier, anyways. You know, exactly. You're eating better, you're yeah. exercising, like you said. Um, surrounding yourself with good people and getting away from the bad stuff out there. Yeah. And yeah. And case illustration for that is when I was, when I was at Boeing, we did a small pilot and we sent in uh, 10 patients who were having chronic pain and were addicted to opioids, Mm -hmm. you know, these painkillers, it's kind of a national epidemic. Um, But uh, we wanted to see what this could do because it was sort of an incidental finding we found among veterans many of the veterans were reducing the amount of medications they were taking. And, you know, I I think that's sort of part and parcel to this whole story is when you're feeling better, you don't need this crutch anymore of just throwing pills into your mouth. 
And um, we wanted to see if this would translate over into our civilian counterparts. And in fact, it did. And the other part of that story that I was not anticipating, so uh, six out of nine of these chronic pain patients came completely off of all drugs. They were totally sober. Wow. But the more, I guess, inspiring piece of that is they all went back to work. Perfect. And so, you know, I think <laughs> in medicine, we tend to get very jaded that, you know, sometimes people are gaming the system or, you know, they just like that free check from disability or whatever. And this was, this really proved that I think mentality wrong and right. kind of getting back to nobody wants to feel that way. Nobody wants to uh, not have gainful employment. And these people, once you solve their anxiety and depression issue, they, they went back to work. And so I still remember this lady came back holding up her paycheck and she, she said, this is getting my dignity back. I can now provide for, for my family that I couldn't for, uh, in her case, almost a decade. Wow. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's amazing. I mean, maybe we can use that on a more bigger level and get everybody to quit smoking too. You know, everybody can get off the opioids, get off everything else and get, you know, just make it better for everybody out there. But um, I know the, the military, at least when I was, I don't know how bad it is now. Cause like I said, I got out in 2009, but I know just about everybody in my unit was smoking. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had a similar experience and, um, but in, in our unit, everyone was dipping for some reason. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, I will say nicotine is one of the most stubborn and difficult addictions to, to get over. And, uh, so in our clinical trials, we've seen, we've had success with, uh, uh opioid narcotics. Some people have come down off of methamphetamine and, wow. uh, but we, we've really struggled with nicotine, something about that stimulus. Uh, yeah. It's very difficult for people to come off of. I think that your patient needs to have the will to stop it too. I, I'm, you know, I'm a big firm believer, like, you know, you know, if you have somebody out there and they're, you know, they're addicted to something, if they don't want to stop doing it, it's very hard to for, force that onto them. Oh yeah. You know? That's uh universal and yeah. kind of a ticket to entry. I think in most cases, uh, you're not going to get better unless you really want to. Yep. So, uh, so yeah, motivation, is a uh, kind of a requirement. I think if, if people are wanting to uh, improve their life or get better. So what if I, what if I wanted to improve my kill hat, my drill instructor's life when I was in boot camp? could you have maybe toned down his anger management a little bit for me or. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's an interesting question. And, you know, I, I'll share with you. So, so I think the answer is it's not, I don't know that it's necessarily toning down people people's aggression, but, um, you know, one of my first visits, and so, you know, we did, we're, we're still in the middle of this trial uh, that was initiated by U.S. Special Operations Command. And uh, one of the questions that was asked is, you know, we've heard the anecdotal stories and we've had many of, um, we've had some operators tell us that this has helped them with their concussion symptoms or yeah. uh, their post-traumatic stress what could we do to help the operators preemptively? So before they fall off the cliff, uh, is this something that could prehabilitate people or uh, be a human performance product? And it's not an angle that we really thought about or really pursued. You know, in medicine, the mantra is about saving lives and stamping out disease. And when we think about human performance, sometimes uh, there is this um, 
perception for better or worse of anabolic steroids or uh, speed or, or, or some of these kind of uh, pharmaceuticals. And we didn't necessarily want to be lumped into that, but we have seen that there are some human performance gains, whether it's mm-hmm. cognitive processing speed. Uh, in some cases, people have noticed kind of faster reaction times. We've had several NFL players and professional athletes uh, talk to us about drills that they do. And when they go back to training camp, they score some of their best times ever. And so there, there is, I think, um, an application there. And yeah. that's been its own sort of market that's taken off. A lot of executives want a competitive edge and to be able to process information faster. And um, that is one of the benefits of this type of treatment. And that's something actually that has come up repeatedly is it's a bit more disarming if you talk to a veteran or an elite athlete or an operator, instead of framing it around this discussion of concussion, TBI, post-traumatic stress, if it's just, this is going to help you to perform better. Who doesn't want to be a part of that? You know, if I can just function better in my day-to-day life and you're doing it population level and you're doing it with no medication too. I mean, you know, people out there with TBI or PTSD, I mean, you're almost curing them without giving them, you know, here, here's, you know, 15 pills you got to take every day, you know, and that's going yeah, to. That's a great point. Thank you for, thank yeah. you for highlighting that is, you know, I think a non-pharmaceutical option without all of the incumbent side effects is that's really meaningful. And, you know, the first principle of medicine in Latin, primum non nicere, first do no harm. And, uh, you know, there's no technology and no medication that can truthfully say no harm, but relative to many of the powerful drugs that are out there, this procedure has a pretty exceptional safety profile. And we shouldn't mention them. There there is uh, a risk of headaches, usually yeah. transient and alleviated by over-the-counter strength, uh, Tylenol or, or ibuprofen. Yep. <laughs> and there, there can be scalp irritation. There can be, uh, in rare cases, dizziness. Uh, the most significant side effect we talk about is a risk of seizure. And it's more hypothetical, knock on wood. We've not had one at one of our centers, but there is listed generally a 1 in 10,000 to 1 in 100,000 risk of eliciting a seizure. And to put a benchmark around that, uh, the Nintendo Game Boys that our kids play with uh, list a risk of seizure one in 4,000. And so the number is relatively safe, but nevertheless, we want to be very honest and open about that risk. So Right. And I think you did all the risks there in less than a minute. And I, you know, watching TV, if there's any new pill that comes out, I think they say, you know, you could die from it. It can cause cancer. It can cause your, you know, your, your butt to throw up every hour, you know, and they go on and on. It's like a whole nother commercial on stuff. So, I mean, as far as what you guys are doing and the side effects on it, it's just, it's phenomenal. The outcome. I mean, those are those, what I'm trying to say are like very minor side effects. You know, if you got a yeah. headache, that's fine, but you know, you don't have the TBI anymore. You don't have your PTSD. You don't have your, your anxiety, your depression. You don't have any of that anymore. So I think yeah. that's that's definitely a win, and I think you guys are on the on the right track for all that. Well, that's and, and I think that's if there's a message to to convey to to this audience it is I would say it's one of hope yep. that we're always getting better at this with every EEG we get. Um, you know the the computer analytics and the artificial intelligence. We're entering an age where I think we're starting to uncover 
a lot of the unknown right. and specifically post-traumatic stress. It's probably worth mentioning. This isn't erasing the memory of your buddy, right. you know, sacrificing it all or right. uh, whatever terrible event that may have happened in uh, your childhood or, or anything like that. Um, but it is helping you to have the emotional resilience to deal with it and manage it in a way where it's not all consuming and disabling or impairing your ability to function. Right. And that to me is the key. You know, we talked yeah. about human performance and what we can do for healthy people. And uh, I think that's a really important part of the mission, but the group that I am sort of hair on fire, <laughs> I want people to know that there are options yeah. and I don't feel like, you know, 22 veterans a day is unacceptable right. as a suicide rate for the greatest country in the world. And mm -hmm. we have so many resources available to us. And if there's anybody who's listening, who might be at risk, just know that there's hope. There are new technologies being innovated. It doesn't have to be us. Right. You know, there's uh, other things to look into. There's, uh, EMDR, I've been hearing a lot of good things about eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. There's accelerated uh, recovery and therapy. It's kind of a variant of EMDR. There is, of course, kind of foundationally cognitive behavioral therapy, talk therapy. There are medications, even though I think those are further down the line in terms of desirability. Right. Um, you know, meditation, I think, is an underutilized resource available to all of us. But I do want there to be uh, at least some knowledge sharing uh, that this technology is out there. And yeah. if you can't make it to one of our centers, we're doing this personalized treatment. But TMS is widely available around the country as a non-pharmaceutical option. If you are uh, really struggling, um, I hope that you'll think about it, research it. Yep. Um, if you have questions, I know in your show notes, you'll <laughs> have links to uh, our group. Yep. Um, and uh, most importantly, if, if you're a veteran, I know that there is a family around you that would do anything to help you out. Absolutely. And, and I'm thinking about my buddies. It doesn't matter if you call at four in the morning. Right. You know, I would drop whatever it is that I'm doing. Literally, I'd go drive out to see any of my friends. Yep. And um, I, I believe that's true for, for most of your most of the people who have served as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's absolutely worth it. I mean, you can say, um, you know, you took an oath when you took the oath, you took the oath for the rest of your life, whether you're, you're active duty, if you're, if you're not, you're always going to be there for your brothers and sisters. And, uh, don't like you're saying, you know, no matter what time of the day, you know, if you get that phone call from um, your brother and sister, you hang it up, you're not doing any better than they are. So the DOD report, since we're on it, um, for 2019 active service members who committed suit now the dod only gives out the report of people in uniform still this is not just this is just uniform guys this ain't the civilian world yet in 2019 active service members who committed suicide was 346 and then reserve unit was 155 and your national guard was 90 for a total of 591 in uniform guys that committed suicide in 2020 January through March, so first quarter, active duty members is 85. Your reserves are 39, and the National Guard is 23 for a total of 147 in three months that commit suicide. What Eric's doing here with, you know, wave neuroscience is that's, I think that's going to be a huge part. That's going to play a huge part. Maybe 
an option, but I think if we keep pushing and get the, the news out there of this company and what they're doing, I think we can, that'll definitely help bring the numbers down. Cause like we, you know, like Eric said, and I said, you're not taking a pill anymore. So you're not going to be feeling that I have to take, I'm special or uh, there's something wrong with me. I'm handicapped. I got to take all these pills. You know, this is another Avenue here that you can go down to maybe help you with that. And it's not a brain eraser. So you're not going to lose the memories of your friends. You know, it's, it's out there to help you cope with what you're, what you're dealing with now try to make you be a better person every day and be more open with people. You know, there's phone numbers that you can call, you know, the 1-800-273-8255. You can press one. You can talk to them 24-7-365. They don't know who you are. They're not going to judge you. You know, they'll, they'll talk to you. And like I said before, if you don't want to talk and you just want to send out a text, it's text. The number is 838-255. Or you can call Mission 22 Direct at 503-908- 8505 or you can go to mission22.com and go over to that event page August there's an event going on every Saturday except for the last Saturday in March or August there's an event going on check it could be in your area I know there's like Massachusetts having them California's going to have an event coming up you know I think it's salute for troops or something I think it's coming up in California but go on there there's avenues there's ways ways to beat it call your buddies call your friends look into the neuroscience i'll leave a link for for eric's uh company here so you can get it right there in the show notes and then you can always email me at american vet podcast at yahoo.com and i'll help you get in touch with eric and we'll get you some get you some help absolutely and uh it's probably worth mentioning tricare and tri west now cover the treatment and so you know, there's a pre-authorization period. It usually takes a couple of weeks. So uh, if you're thinking about coming, just reach out and uh, we'll greet skits for you, trying to make it as uh, uh, friendly and um, frictionless a process as possible. But, um, but yeah, I appreciate everything you're doing, brother. And yeah. uh, it's really been uh, uh, an honor to talk to you. And yeah. um, this was fun. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for uh, sending the email out for to me, and uh, thanks for your resume. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was long. I was that was it's a long resume. You did a, quite a bit, and you're keep going. And I and I applaud you for that. And don't give up. And I'm glad to hear how excited you are and on the new innovations that your company's doing and stuff like that. So, thanks, Eric, for coming on, and thank you, listeners, for joining in for another episode. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land, we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. The price for this freedom at times has been high, but we have never been unwilling to pay that price. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom.